good evening, everybody. It's lovely to be uh, back here at, uh, at Castle Ray again. Um, yeah, Jeff had mentioned just a little bit about my, my job change. Um, still seems funny for me to be talking a little bit about it, but um, I, I worked as a psychiatrist for over 25 years uh, in the NHS. Um, for nearly 20 of those years was a consultant uh, in Hollywell Hospital. Um, and, and really have enjoyed working as a psychiatrist. A huge privilege uh, to be working in the NHS with some wonderful people who uh, give their time to help those that are uh, struggling most uh, amongst us and a huge privilege to, to, to be able to, to walk with some folk that have had deep struggles uh, over that time. That's, that's been a real, real privilege. Um, as a Christian as well, though always I've been thinking, how do, I, how do I deal with these things as a Christian? How do I think about these things from a biblical point of view? And that led me to think uh, about the Bible, how it speaks to life's troubles. And that led me into this area of biblical counseling. How do we help one another from the Bible? How do we understand our, our problems and our troubles in life? through that lens of, of the Bible, through what God says to us in his word. And so about 16 years ago, um, I went part-time with the NHS work and, and began to do some counselling uh, from, from our home in Portadown. Um, and in the last 10 years, got involved with an organisation called Biblical Counselling UK. And they offered training in biblical counseling, in how God's word uh, reaches into life and how we then can see that work out in our conversations with one another, how we help one another well from the Bible. So that's really what BCUK is about. I'd been involved in their training and then an opportunity came to get involved full-time with them last September. So I decided to, to go off the, the edge of the NHS cliff, as it were, and, uh, and to work full-time with BCK, which has just been a huge, um, a huge privilege. So that's a little bit about my uh, story and my, my journey into, into where I'm at this evening. Um, and uh, just to maybe mention, Jeff had mentioned a few resources. There are a few books and things at the back table which might be of interest, and we just wanted to make you aware of, of books and things. We, we can't on an evening like, like this say everything that needs to be said about these issues, so it's useful to maybe, actually I need to go back, I think, don't I? There we go. Um, and a couple of books, um, these are, are uh, a couple of books by, by some of my new colleagues in BC UK, Steve Midgley and Helen Thorne, and this is a, a, a new one that has come out, just looking at mental health and the church. It's a very uh, kind of user-friendly, popular level um, book about mental health and about how as churches we, we can help. And then Helen um, has written this very helpful small book on anxiety. And uh, for those of us that have struggled with anxiety, you need a small book, don't you? You don't need anything too big to be trying to get your head around. Um, so it's a lovely, helpful, small, accessible book um, just about anxiety that Helen has written. As I say, there are, there are a few more resources and we'd be glad at the end to, to talk more um, about resources uh, with you as well. As we come to, to, to think about um, depression then this evening, um, I suppose I'll just say at the beginning, glad, as Jeff said, to be around at the end, to have some conversations. There's no doubt that all of us will have been in some way touched with depression, either personally or with someone that we know. And, and, and I'm, I, I'm sure that not just if you're part of the regular fellowship here, but if you've come here this evening and you're visiting and the, the topic has interested you, you you're here for a reason. Um, we would be glad, we'd, we'd love to chat with you afterwards if that would be helpful to you. But also I'm conscious just that, that some of the, the things we're talking about when they're brought to the surface, it can, in a sense, touch a, a bit of a nerve with us. And Again, for that reason, we're glad to have a chat with anyone afterwards, myself or part of the leadership team here. We'd, we'd love to, to talk with you. So we're going to think a bit about depression, what depression is, what causes depression, how we can help with depression, and we do want to think together a bit about what the Bible 
has to say. And I'm going to actually read a bit from the Bible, first of all, just to to start us off. Um, From the book of Psalms, uh, Psalms 42 and 43. um, And it's amazing how these Psalms so often just very, very easily map onto our our experience um, of struggle in life. So Psalm 42, let me read these words to you. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Leading on into Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You've been a bit worried about John over the past year. You haven't seen just as much of him. When you have, the conversation has been brief and he always seems to want to hurry on. Out of care and concern for him, you WhatsApp him to arrange a coffee. After a delay, he responds and agrees. How are you doing, John? And, and after uh, getting past the, the, the pleasantries and the not too bads level of conversation, you ask him, has everything been okay? I was a bit concerned for you. You've been on my mind. John doesn't say much for a moment or two. Ah, it's just work and that. Not feeling the best. Haven't been sleeping that well. Falling out with everyone, feels like. And ah, I'm just weary. You listen more. You ask a few questions. And after a moment or two, he looks up. His eyes seem to be brimming. And he says, not even sure about God anymore. Well, what might be going on with John? How do we understand what's happening to him and how can we help him? That's what we want to be thinking about this evening. And of course, we can all feel down from time to time. We can all have our off days. Uh, and mostly it, it passes, mostly it lifts, it lasts a few hours, lasts a day or two. And it begins to lift again. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it it gathers. Sometimes it it stays. It it gathers like a cloud and it lingers and it deepens and it darkens over our lives. And it begins to interfere with our living. And that's when we begin to think about depression. Well, how common is this problem of depression? Um, 
At any given point in time, about one in 20 people are struggling with a level of depression that would reach a diagnosis, okay? And we've got to remember that these things are in a bit of a spectrum from sort of normal everyday struggle moving into that level that we think of as a diagnosis, that more, in a sense, significant level of, of depression. So about 1 in 20 at any given point of time, but, but let me ask a slightly different question. How many people at some point in their lives might struggle with depression? And at that point, the, the, the number rises right up to about 1 in 7 people struggling with a, a major depression at some point in their lives. Now pause with that a second, one in seven people, and think of how many people are, are in this room this evening. And it begins to, to give you a sense of the, the numbers. That's why I said at the beginning, there'll be a number of us here that are either struggling with or have struggled with depression in the past or will do, uh, and, and most, if not all of us, will know someone who has struggled with depression. Uh, women are about twice as likely as men to suffer. I can see some of the, the, the ladies glancing around at the men and they're all thinking, yes, it's because of the men that we are twice as likely to suffer. Um, and, uh, and actually, it, it's, it's hard to know exactly why the, the, those statistics are the way they are. Obviously, there are going to be some physiological, some biological reasons for that. Women are, are more likely, of course, to, uh, well, not more likely, they're, men are not going to get postnatal depression. Um, and there are other changes, aren't there? Hormonal changes, menopause and so forth, where uh, women, because of those changes, are going to be more vulnerable to depression. So uh, women more likely to suffer than men. The average age of a first episode of a major depression is the mid-twenties. That's interesting, isn't it? That it's actually in young adulthood where we are most likely to first encounter uh, this condition. So that's a, a bit of the, a bit of the uh, those are some of the facts and figures. But, but, but what, what is it that we're talking about? What is this experience of depression? What do we mean um, when we, we talk about depression? Um, and as I said, we can all feel down and low at times, but then sometimes it just merges into something that feels more than, something harder, something more significant, more more darkness, sometimes people describe it as an emptiness, sometimes a numbness, uh, just a, a depth of, of, of feeling miserable that is more than the usual. And depression is characterized by a number of different symptoms. And I'm going to mention some of them now, not to kind of try and blind you with too much information, but more just to give you a feel for what this experience is like. Depression affects us both on the outside and on the inside. Okay? Outwardly, it affects our bodies and our behavior. Inwardly, it affects our, our thinking and our feeling. And I'm going to run down some of those areas and the way it affects us then just for a moment or two. It affects us physically, first of all. Um, our sleep can become disturbed, um, either uh, by too little sleep, insomnia, it can be maybe hard to get over at night or sometimes we waken up more early than, than usual in the morning. A couple of hours or more early than usual uh, would not be unusual in depression. Sometimes though the pendulum swings the other way and instead of too little sleep, there's too much sleep and we feel like oversleeping a lot of the time. But that change in sleep pattern is quite common. Likewise, our appetite changes, and again, it's the same kind of thing. Sometimes there's too, too little appetite. We, we go off our food, we pick over it, we begin to lose weight. That's a significant sign of depression. But also it can swing the other way, where we, we begin to want to eat too much. The old comfort eating that, again, we can probably all to some degree relate to. The energy changes. There's a loss of energy, and it's not just that kind of everyday tiredness that we can feel after a, a good day's work or something like that. This is more uh, a fatigue, uh, an incapacitating level of fatigue uh, that really feels like it's slowing you down. Sometimes people with depression feel that their memory is going. 
Uh, they, they feel that they're not remembering things. And actually, it's not so much that your memory is going, it's more that our concentration isn't as good. So you might have been at a talk like this this evening, and you leave and somebody says to you tomorrow morning, you know, what did that guy talk about last night? And you can't remember much about it. It's not so much that it could have been that the talk was useless, of course, but it's not so much that, that your memory is the problem, it's that you're not attending, okay? It's, it's not registering in the first place because the concentration isn't there. Depression can affect our attention. And there are other bodily uh, symptoms that can be present, things like headache, um, digestive problems, stomach pains, constipation, that kind of thing, and even just a general slowing up of everything, a slowing of our thinking sometimes, a slowing also of our movements as well, uh, reduced sex drive as well as another common uh, symptom in depression. So depression affects our, our, our bodies, it affects us physically. What else might you see in the person with depression? Well, it not only affects our, our bodies, it affects our behavior as well. You'll see changes, there'll be visible things that uh, express the depression. We often stop doing things, um, our usual activities, and it's often the things that we enjoy that people stop when they become depressed. So they give up activities, they'll, they'll stop doing their pastimes and hobbies and and so forth. But their behavior can be affected in other ways too. Sometimes they begin to neglect themselves. We begin to lose interest in our appearance and in what we're wearing. We lose interest in our self-care even, for example. Another behavioral change with depression can be self-harming. And self-harming can sometimes be a response to the depressed kind of thinking that we'll talk about in a moment. Um, you know, I'm a bad person, therefore I deserve to be punished. But it can also be sometimes a, a means of coping with some of the, the difficult emotions that we get with depression. You know, I feel unsettled and agitated, and sometimes it's a, it's a way of coping and relieving those very distressing feelings, particularly in younger people. So remember we're asking, what is this thing called depression? It affects our bodies. It affects our behavior. But remember, it also affects us on the inside. And, and I think the, these symptoms that I'm going to mention next, the, the, the emotional and the, 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 the thinking symptoms, these are amongst the most difficult because these are the parts of the struggle that people don't see. Um, I sometimes, when I'm seeing folks, you know, we, we make this kind of analogy that it's like having a, uh, you know, or it's not like having a broken leg. If you had a broken leg, you have a cast on the leg, everybody can see there's something wrong. It's obvious that, that things are, are not well. But with depression, that, that brokenness is so often on the inside. And often, in my experience, people with depression can get very good at covering very good at putting on the brave face. I think particularly in Northern Ireland, we can do that, you know. People use the humor and they use the smiles and so forth, the kind of the, the friendliness that is so typical of, of folks here, but that can be also a cover for things that are hard on the inside. So depression affects us inwardly, it affects our emotions. And of course, as you might expect, our mood can become low. There's that heaviness, there's that sadness. But it affects us in, in other ways, emotionally. Anxiety can be a feature with depression. So anxiety can be, a, of course, a problem in its, own, in its own right, if you like. But it can also be part of a depression too, that kind of inner turmoil that we read about in Psalm 42. Um, anger is a common feeling in depression. In fact, uh, some of the old theories about depression are that it's a kind of an anger that's turned inward, um, an anger that's turned against ourselves. And again, that can be very much underneath the surface. It maybe comes out in small ways like irritability, but it's like that iceberg where there's little blips coming up above the surface, but there's a lot going on underneath the surface as well. Another um, way that depression can affect us is that loss of interest in things. We, we lose interest, we, we lose that sense of pleasure uh, that we get in things that would normally give us some enjoyment. And then sometimes with depression, there are just no feelings. It's as if they just go flat. There's a numbness. 
it's almost like, well, I, I can't feel good about the things that, you know, should make us feel good, but I can't feel actually bad about the things that should make me feel bad as well. There's just a kind of a, almost an apathy, no feeling, a, a kind of an indifference. So different ways that oppression, depression affects us emotionally. And, and uh, you can uh, imagine that those ways of feeling will often then color how we think, okay? And depression has, can really color our thinking in, in lots of different ways. Um, and one of the, the key things to, to think about when we're trying to understand how depression affects our thinking is that we get preoccupied, okay? We get preoccupied, we, we brood with depression, okay? Um, the person who sits in the corner and isn't saying much, staring out into the distance and all the time churning over and over and over. Okay, so common in, in depression. Um, and that thinking then will, is gonna land on, on, different, on different areas. So the depressed person, they, they look at themselves and they think, oh, I'm, I'm no good. I'm useless, I'm worthless. Or they look at their lives and they think, oh, there's no purpose to, to, to life. What's the point? What's, what's, the, what's the point in getting up this morning? Um, so depression colors our thinking about ourselves. It also colors our thinking about the world around us. It can feel like everything is against me. It can feel like, like others are against me. It's, it's like there's this sensitivity to everything. And it's like even things that are happening out there that have nothing to do with me, somehow they seem to relate to me. I've, I've often heard people with depression, they'll say, you know, you, you, you know they, they're almost afraid to admit this, but they'll say things like, you'll never, you'll never guess what happened to me. I, I walked into a cafe this week and there was a couple sitting over at a table and they were talking and I could have sworn they were talking about me. I'm nearly sure they were talking about me. There, there's almost that oversensitivity, okay, that everything somehow makes reference to them. So that hypersensitivity, if you like, to, to circumstances and to, to others can be part of the experience of depression. It's hard, isn't it? Even as I'm saying this, you know, it's a you get this sense of just how, how difficult the experience is. It colors our thinking, not just about ourselves and about the world, but also about the past. Uh, depressed people will, will have this feeling of, of, of guilt often. And with that feeling of guilt, they, they sometimes, it's not that they can put their finger on exactly why they're feeling guilty. They can't immediately think of anything they've done wrong, but there is this feeling of guilt that just doesn't seem to be lifting. And so they decide, they think, okay, I, I, there must be something. And part of that brooding is that they go back hunting around in the past, fishing around for things in the past. And, 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 and often, uh, in my experience, that they'll, they'll find something, some small thing, that nobody else ever noticed or ever remembered, and they'll say, ah, that's it. I, I didn't sort that out with that person. That's why I'm feeling like this. And suddenly that small thing, which had been long forgotten by everybody, suddenly becomes this massive thing in the mind of the depressed person, and they feel they have to go and make reparations and sort things out and so forth. And, and, and what's happening there just is this depression, it's really magnifying all of these kind of faults from, from the past. And it's not just the past that gets colored by our depression, but as we look forward, that gets colored as well. And this is, a, this is an important one to, 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 to consider together. We look forward, it gets colored by the depression, and we begin to think there's nothing there for me. There, there's nothing to look forward to. There is no future. Um, I'm not sure I can see a way forward here. That kind of hopelessness. And that's very significant and important to pick up on because connected to that sometimes can be, can be thoughts of, of ending things, suicidal feelings and, and thinking. So hopelessness is an important one to, to pick up on. So remember uh, what we're doing. We're, we're trying to tap into this experience of depression. We're seeing that it affects our bodies. It affects our 
behavior. It affects our, our thinking. It affects how we feel. And of course, for the Christian, it will affect them spiritually as well. Um, our sense of fellowship with God is affected. Um, God seems far away. He seems distant. I try to pray, but it, it feels like there's just a, a sort of a glass pane between, between me and heaven. Um, we begin to, to withdraw from God's people. So there can be that withdrawal generally, socially, but then we, as for the Christian, they also begin to withdraw from God's people and from attending church. And that feeling of guilt I mentioned, well, I, I know the gospel. I know that Jesus died for my sin, but somehow I'm not feeling it. So there must be something wrong here. The guilt isn't going away despite what I know about the gospel. And that joy and that peace that we're meant to have as Christians, well, that doesn't seem to be there. And we have difficulty praying because the concentration, remember, isn't good. And I'm feeling fatigued and the energy isn't there. And I really just don't feel like this. And I'm trying to read my Bible, but nothing's really landing because God feels so far away. I don't feel any feelings for anything. And so coming out to worship when everybody else is praising the Lord and I just feel like that. Um, you can see how this is so difficult for a Christian. And you add all of those things together, and what's the Christian going to think? Am I, am I really a Christian at all? You can see how doubts will come in for the Christian who's struggling with depression. So we're asking this question, what is this thing called depression? We're seeing all of these different areas that it can affect us. Um, I should say that um, it's not that you have to have all of those symptoms or experiences to have what a, a doctor today will call depression. It's a number of those symptoms that are landing together, that are lasting for a period of time, usually a few weeks or more, and that aren't lifting, they're not going away. And, and whenever you have that more settled kind of clustering of these experiences, that's what a doctor today will diagnose as a depression. And just to say as well that, that you know, you, you may be here this evening also with the mindset of, I, I want to be able to help uh, someone that I know who's struggling like this. Well, uh, one thing that we can learn from understanding the experience of depression is just that we, we, we shouldn't be afraid to ask questions, ask good questions, ask around some of these areas. Is it affecting you this way? Is it affecting you that way? Get to know the person's story. Get to know their experience of depression because whilst I've given you this kind of overview, it, it, it works itself out in a very individual way in a person's life. And so you've got to know each person um, individually. How is depression affecting them? When did it start? How did it start? And so forth. You want to understand them. And one other thing, just before we leave the, the, these symptoms, is that they don't all just land in a person in one go. That's not how it, how it begins. It often starts in quite a small way and begins to kind of spiral, one leading into the other. So, for example, let's take John. Um, a, a couple of years ago, along with many others, John was maybe furloughed from his job. And that was a stress at the time. But since that, the business has struggled and John's uh, job has come under threat. As he's begun to think about this and he's seen some of, of his colleagues laid off, he begins to think about his future and what's going to happen. Is he going to be laid off? What's going to happen financially? As he's thinking about this, his sleep begins to go off as well. Um, he's waking up then each day more exhausted because his sleep isn't as good. And, you know, like the rest of us, whenever you're exhausted, the small problems just become big problems. And as these big problems begin to loom large, they weigh in on him more. His mood gets lower. He finds that he's becoming like a Jekyll and Hyde character at home. The family are finding him irritable um, and, and they're walking on eggshells around him. And all the while underneath it all, John's still thinking about his future and losing his role and the potential of that and, and feeling worthlessness because his, his identity is so tied up with his, with his breadwinning role. And as all of this is kind of uh, going around in his mind over the days and the weeks, this cloud of gloom is descending upon him and beginning to color everything. 
Now you can see there, as I've described that, that it's been kind of one thing knocking into another in this kind of spiraling downwards, which can sound very pessimistic and difficult, I know, but by the same token, as one thing leads into the other in that spiraling downwards, as we begin to help in one area, even in one small way, then there can be that knock-on effect into other areas. And so likewise, that can be part of the, the way back up out of the, the spiraling again. But it's important just that you see that, that dynamic. So we're trying to understand this experience of, of depression. And we've thought a bit about what that looks like. Um, Let's think now a little bit about about causes. What actually causes this picture that we've just been talking about? Well, we live in a world where, where, where bad things happen, where there are losses and hardships. And about 70%, okay, it's over two-thirds of cases of depression, are preceded by some kind of loss or, or major life event, which is normally a, a loss um, of some kind. So changes, uh, illness, a bereavement, um, losses another way, relationship difficulties, um, those things that, that bring us face to face with our frailty, with our vulnerability, with disappointment in our lives, uh, those are the kinds of experiences that can lead to a depression. One or two wee interesting points just about that. One is that we are more at risk of depression, particularly where we feel we have had some kind of responsibility for the loss or for the disappointment. Okay, So if it's been, for example, a job loss, like in John's case, and let's say he had done something or failed to do something which had led to that, uh, that job loss, um, then that, that would be more likely, that sense of responsibility is going to increase his risk of depression. Uh, another just we, we point in that is that it, it doesn't, you don't always have to go looking for some major event that has happened. Because sometimes what can, the case, it can be the case that it's not like one major thing. It's like a kindling together of smaller events, smaller losses, smaller disappointments. And it's only as you begin to think through with someone, what's been happening over the last number of months, what's been happening over the last year or two, that, that you know, whenever you first ask them, they say, oh, I can't really think of anything. Life's been, been pretty normal. But then when you begin to probe a bit more, you hear there's been this, there's been that, and things have added together. And suddenly you've got this, these smaller kind of lower level, if you like, losses, disappointments, hardships. But adding together, they kind of kindle together to create this, this risk of depression. What are some of the other losses and hardships? Things like loss of a, uh, lack of a confiding relationship is actually a risk factor. Um, and just generally hard social circumstances, even if those are more of a kind of a chronic and ongoing thing, like unemployment, housing difficulties, and so forth. Those can all be risk factors. As well as losses and hardships, as well as our circumstances, we, we have fallen bodies, broken bodies, if you like, um, that are going to get sick as well. And that can be a risk factor as part of our depression. There are some specific illnesses that can cause depression, things like thyroid problems and underactive thyroid, anemia, infections. I think it's interesting that the, the kind of post COVID, long COVID kind of thing. And again, not necessarily that it's being labeled as depression, but you can see some of those things on a spectrum together, can't you, where there can be that loss of energy and that flattening of the mood that comes in that more long COVID kind of uh, situation. Again, just a current kind of example of the kind of thing we're talking about this evening. You can see some overlap in those things. Uh, Post-heart attack uh, and with other conditions like Parkinson's disease or epilepsy, again, depression can be associated. Medication, some medications can cause depression. The thing to, to think about there is, um, has the depression started reasonably soon after starting the medication? And you're kind of linking the time there in terms of starting the, the new medication and the side effect. And in that case, you go back and, and discuss it with the GP. Other bodily factors are genetics. People often ask the question, does depression run in families? Well, 
the, the, I'll say first of all that it's not a direct line between a parent to a child and I want to be clear about that because that can be a cause of some parental guilt, you know, the, the thought that if I've got this, am I going to pass it on to my children? Um, and, and that's not necessarily the case. However, in terms of just trying to understand this condition, the child of a parent who has had depression, that child is more vulnerable. They're about three times more likely to get depression than someone who hasn't a parent who has struggled with depression. Um, so there's a greater vulnerability. It's not an absolute definite, but it's a greater vulnerability. And I think that just reminds us that, that there's something physical about this. There's something biological that, that's, that's going on in this condition. Our personalities and our temperaments, there are the people that are more prone to, to stress, uh, our tendencies towards high standards, uh, for example, are more likely to struggle with depression. And again, I wonder, is there something there about, you know, to, look, to go back to losses and disappointments if we're someone who has particularly kind of expectations about things, are we more prone then to the disappointments? And it's the gathering of those disappointments, perhaps, that, that can predispose us. Um, sometimes they're just, despite all of this, the, these, uh, this list of causes and things that I'm, that I'm uh, laying out before you, sometimes it just isn't a cause. Sometimes de depression can just arise from within. Uh, we call that an endogenous depression. That's the, the, the big word for it. It's a, it's a technical term. It just means depression from within, arises from, from within. People sometimes ask, um, does sin cause depression? At this point, I would like to come down and sit there and let Jeff come up and answer that one. Because uh, it, it's, it's not an easy question in one sense. Um, we can understand that uh, sometimes in the Bible, there are Psalms, for example, Psalm 32, and it seems to be talking about unconfessed sin. And it also seems to be giving a description which could sound quite like depression, actually, and some of the things that, I, that I've mentioned. But what I, I think is maybe more important for us to emphasize this evening is that the Bible definitely talks about an experience like depression that is without sin being the cause. I mean, the Psalms even that we read together uh, this evening, they certainly can map on to a lot of what we were talking about, as we'll see uh, in a moment. But... Um, there's no mention in those psalms necessarily of the psalmist actually uh, sinning and sin being the cause of him being weighed down and, and cast down. And there are many examples in Scripture of, of the believer walking in hardship and darkness and sorrow without any sin being the cause of that. Um, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, it's a psalm we can all quote. The valley of the shadow of death doesn't seem to be any mention of sin as a cause there. For me, the best example is, is, is in the New Testament, the Gospels. Uh, there, remember, Matthew 26. Cast your mind back to Jesus in the garden. What do we read about him? We read that he was exceedingly sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now, I'm no Greek scholar, okay? But I'm led to believe that in terms of that uh, phrase, exceedingly sorrowful, it's the strongest of three Greek words that could have been used to describe depression. And there we have our Savior without sin experiencing a depth of sorrow. It seems very much to correlate with, with this kind of depression that we are describing this evening. And so I think what we're saying is that sin is not necessarily at all the cause of depression, um, but it could be the occasion. Depression is a suffering that could be the occasion for us to sin. We want to think about how we can respond well to that. Um, I should mention as well, too, just on that, as we think about the spiritual aspects, let's not forget that we have a, an accuser and a tempter. Think about some of those patterns of thinking that we mentioned and how the evil one um, in his accusing could, can begin to add to, uh, to all of that. So how do we help with depression then? We thought a little bit about what causes depression. 
Um, and just for those of you that were maybe here the, the first evening we did a few months back, um, you might remember this. And just to, to remind you that there are lots of things, if you look around that outer circle, things that can be pressing in and can be causing uh, depression or contributing to it in our experience. Just a rem- and a reminder that we have to try and hold all of these things together as we think about depression. Well, how do we help? Let me give you some, uh, just a, f- a few uh, bits and pieces of, if you like, the common wisdom that's out there in terms of helping depression. I think it's very useful to think about these things. Um, and these are things that, that I think as Christians too that we can make good use of. We can see them as as gifts that the Lord has given. They, they are, in a sense, means of his help to us, means of his grace to us as we struggle. Um, and so the first one I've mentioned there is, is rest. And of course, I mean rest in that broadest sense of rest, Bro- rest in terms of, 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 of recreation and replenishment as well. And we really need that. It's interesting that, that uh, GPs often today, kind of first line, will prescribe or encourage exercise or enjoyable activity for the person who's struggling with depression. Remember what we said, they often retreat back from those things, and so often they need that kind of encouragement to move into activity again that's going to help them. And, it's, it's, and remember, let's not underestimate how difficult these things can be. For the depressed person, when their feelings are the way they are, the motivation can be just so hard, so difficult, so flat. There's no spark, no drive, no go to do these things. They need real encouragement. Um, Medication. We've mentioned how the body can be involved. I would say whenever we're noticing any degree of those symptoms together that I've mentioned, we should see a GP. There's just wisdom in that. We've seen that there can be physical causes. And also, we, we may need medication. Sometimes there can be a degree of depression, and a doctor can assess that, that will need medication. Um, again, as a Christian, we can receive medication as a gift from God. It's not our ultimate refuge. We are not trusting ultimately the medication. We're trusting in the God who gives that medication, and in him then to use it or to not as, as he wills. We, we take the medication, but our faith and our trust is ultimately still in God. There are various types of antidepressants. There are newer ones. There are older ones. Uh, they tend to work on the serotonin and noradrenaline in the brain. It's all a bit of a mystery as to how they work. Uh, it's thought at a very basic level that they boost serotonin at nerve endings, and somehow that is, uh, uh, affects how the mood is regulated in our, in our brains. Um, they take about four to six weeks to work. Okay, that's important because sometimes people can start the medication and think, I'm not really feeling anything, um, but you need to give them time. Um, and, the, and the change with them is, is often just a very gradual thing, not any kind of... Um, immediate uh, sort of effect. Four to six weeks to work, and then once they do begin to work, you wait until they get you up to to near where you would like to be, okay? And that can take quite a number of weeks and months even. And from there, you, you need to count another three to six months, okay? So even whenever we're feeling okay, the advice is that we stay on the medication for a period of time. Uh, the reason is that um, it's been shown that those who stop medication early have about a 50% chance of relapse. If you stop it within that three months of, of improvement, then there's a 50% chance of relapse. Back to our, our kind of leg in the cast, it's like kind of taking the, the, the cast off too early. I have a friend I was talking to who's been struggling with depression recently, and he was saying to me, you know, I'm actually feeling okay. I feel bad being off work, and I'm on this medication. I feel I should be back. And I'm trying to say to him, look, you know, the leg, once it is set in the cast, can begin to feel okay, like it's not painful. Um, but if you're to take the cast off and start to weight bear on it, you're going to notice it if, if you're taking it off too early. And so that's one way of thinking about the medication. Uh, people worry about whether or not they'll be able to stop them. Um, they're not addictive in the sense that you'll want to take more and more of them and get some kind of buzz or something like that. But they can, your body can get used to them, and so they need to be stopped in a kind of a, a tailing off kind of way, a gradual way. Do they help um, 
the figures are anywhere between sort of 30% and 60% in terms of help. I would say roughly about half of people who start an antidepressant um, will, will get some benefit from it. Um, it can be difficult to know who's going to respond. Okay, sometimes um, you know, it, it's hard to predict who will get benefit from the antidepressant and therefore they have to be just tried uh, to see if they'll help. So medication. Um, in terms of then activity, it's good to try and encourage people with small steps of structured activity. Remember the motivation isn't there. Easy if, if someone's off work for the day to get a bit kind of unstructured. And yet routine helps, structure helps, a schedule can help. Those things give us a sense of purpose. Remember the depressed person, they look at their life and they say, what's the point? And yet to have that routine and structure can be really beneficial. And doing some just small purposeful activities, restarting those small enjoyable activities again uh, can be helpful. Um, even getting out, I often say to, to folks in the counselling, getting out and starting to enjoy creation again. When you're not able to take much in from his word or from sermons, you know, go out, take a walk and let that creation preach its sermon to you. Jesus often pointed to creation when he was trying to uh, teach about God's care. And of course, these things always need perseverance, that kind of taking the small steps, we need to keep persevering. Um, I mentioned earlier about uh, the risk of, of suicidal thinking. We've got to make safety a priority. And if that hopelessness is a worry, then it's important that a depressed person is assessed for uh, risk and that suicidal thinking is, is checked for. Um, and that we bring them to someone like a, a doctor or someone with experience who is able to, to do that. And of course then, talking treatment is the other major area of treatment. And there are lots of different kinds of therapies which there isn't time to go into. But uh, they're basically ways of talking through the experience, trying to make sense of it all, trying to make sense of what has happened. And then also trying to think about those patterns of thinking and how it's affecting the person and seeing what kind of change we can make to those. And that's really where I want to move into just this evening um, as we are, in a sense, coming to a, uh, toward a, a close. I want to think for you a little bit about this psalm together. Psalm 42, how as Christians do we, do we find refuge in the midst of this struggle? Um, Psalm 42, and let's come back to it uh, for a moment or two before we, we finish this evening. Uh, you'll see at the top of that psalm that the psalmist says it is a, it is a mascal, whatever a mascal might be. Um, it's meant to refer to a song of knowledge or understanding. In other words, it's a song to make you think. Okay, This psalm is a song to make you think. And it's also a type of psalm that we call a lament, a song in which a, a psalmist faces trouble and expresses struggle. And like all good songs, it has a pattern. And it seems to, you'll have noticed that maybe as we read it together, it seems to swing. It swings on the one hand from uh, lament and from hardship and from struggle through to hope and then back to lament again and then hope and this kind of from sorrow to optimism, sorrow to hope, it seems to have that swinging kind of pattern to it. And yet even as it swings back between lament and hope, there's a general movement forwards in the psalm towards hope. And that very much maps onto the experience of the person with depression in terms of, in terms of getting better. It's often Good days, bad days, good days, bad days, better day, better day, awful day, good day. And it can be that kind of very up and down experience, but then a trend of moving towards um, things getting better again. So what was this psalm about? Let's have a, a brief look at it together. You'll see at the very beginning that this psalmist is... Um, far away from God, and he's feeling it. If you were to ask him, how are you feeling? Then he would say that, like John, things are dry. Things are empty. I'm a spiritual wasteland, he would say to you. I'm drained. 
And yet in the midst of it all, he seems there still to want God. He's thirsting, he's desiring, he's longing. He's like a deer in this parched land. He's empty and, and yet thirsting for water. And he's missing God's presence. So despite this emptiness and this thirst, he's wanting God. When shall I go and appear before God? He says there in verse uh, 3 uh, and 4. Um, and he remembers back to being with God's people and being in God's presence. That probably meant for this psalmist going to the temple, the place of the tabernacle in Jerusalem, where the presence of God was, where he was among God's people and they went to worship him and worship God. He's remembering better days and he wants to connect with God again. It's very much like the Christian with depression. I wonder, have you felt that this evening? Have things gotten dry and cool spiritually for you? And this distance from God, it's causing the psalmist some distress. We see in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. He's, he's tearful, he's crying, he's sorrowful. Day and night, it seems like he's not sleeping. It seems like perhaps his appetite has gone as well. My tears have been my food day and night. Again, you can see echoes, can't you, of some of that experience of depression that we've been talking about. And we get to verse uh, 3 and, and we see something of the cause. People are against him. They say to me all the day long, where is your God? These, these people that are against him, it may be that this psalmist is in exile. He's away from Jerusalem He's in captivity and these captors, they are provoking him and they're against him and they're saying to him, it doesn't look as if your God is here. You're weak, you're failing, you're lacking joy, you're disturbed, you're fearful. Where is your God in the midst of all of this? Now, that can be the experience again of a Christian with depression. It may be just the voices in their own head that are saying this. Where is your God in the midst of this? It may be those around them as well. And by verse 4, the psalmist is just pouring out his soul here. He's breaking his heart over memories of the past when he was with God's people and worshipping with them. This is what depression can feel like for a Christian. And he describes it even more by verse 5. Why are you cast down, weighed down, depressed in mood, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Why are you... Are you anxious within, he's saying. He describes his experience inside as like a sea whipped up by a storm. That's what that turmoil refers to. And yet we see that even in the midst of this, some hope is beginning to creep in. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Look at how he's responding to being weighed down and troubled. He's starting to, to kind of challenge where he's at. He's challenging this, this spiritual dryness and distress and these negative moods. He's starting to encourage himself to hope in God. This idea of hoping in God, it means waiting patiently for God and expecting his help. And isn't that so often the experience in depression? No quick fixes, no silver bullets. You're having to wait patiently for God and you're waiting for something that isn't there yet, but you're hoping is coming in the future. An expectation of a time when you're going to be able to praise God again. And his expectation, his, his hope, it isn't just based on his own imagination. It's not that kind of hope. It's based on who God is. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. God is his salvation. He's his deliverer. He is his helper. Some of the, the versions talk about God being the, the help of my countenance or God's presence being my help and my victory. Either way, the psalmist's hope, what he's waiting for is God being his help and his salvation. Why are you weighed down? 
and bowed down in despair. Why are you troubled inside? Wait patiently and expect the Lord's help. My Savior, whose presence is victory, and my God. Now let me just pause with you on that for a moment. Really think for a moment about how this man is feeling. It's dark. God doesn't seem to be there. He's so low, the feelings are sick. And we're therefore calling him to believe truths and live as if they are true, even when he doesn't feel them. Now, we should not underestimate the difficulty that that is for the depressed person. It's astonishing. It's one of the things that I find in the, in the counseling. I have this immense, and it genuinely is an immense privilege to sit with people who are struggling like this. And, and they are struggling to hold on to God, to hold on to truths. When their feelings and emotions are telling them everything that is opposite to what they're being called to believe. And their faith is heroic. And you might never, ever meet them. They might never be on a platform. And they're the heroes. As they hold on to God in the midst of these feelings. Holding on to God. Believing and living truths that we are not able to feel. In a sense, it's what, what the scriptures say that faith is. Faith is the, the evidence of things not seen in, in Hebrews 11. Or we could say the, it is the, the evidence of things not felt, things not experienced. Faith holds on even when we don't feel these truths to be true. And that's one of the key and central aims in depression. It's to turn to Christ still by faith in the midst of strong emotions that are weighing us down. It's such a key thing. Well, we could go on through this psalm. I'll not take time this evening to, to go all the way through it, but you'll see as we go through it, that there is this pattern of lament and hope because no sooner is he saying hope in God for I shall yet praise him in verse 5 uh, that in the latter part then of verse or in verse on to verse 6 then suddenly again my soul is cast down within me and he's weighed down again he seems to get his head above water but then he's weighed down again and he describes then that pattern of lamenting uh, and hoping little rays of hope coming in but then being weighed down again. And yet overall, this movement towards hope. Do you see what this psalm is teaching us as we go through it this evening? There are times of spiritual emptiness and dryness when we feel far away from God. Times when your enemies are at large, taunting making you doubt the Lord, times when you're sorrowful and mourning and cast down and anxious. And those are times that challenge our souls to wait in active hope for the saving God whose presence delivers. And we see that that, that process of faith is a process of lamenting and hoping and lamenting and hoping and all the time pouring out our hearts to God. We said that the context of this psalm might have been loss related to God's people being in exile. And perhaps this evening you've known your own kind of exile, your own losses, your own disappointments, your own trials. This psalm doesn't just end in the book of Psalms because another man enters history whose name is Jesus. And like this psalmist, he struggles with troubled feelings as he faces opposition and enemies and distance from God. And yet he has been sent by God and sent from his father's presence to come and to save a people for himself. And this Jesus, he faces poverty. 
And as he heals sicknesses and suffering in his ministry, he bears our griefs and he carries our sorrows. And the Bible describes him as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he too faces opposition and oppression and losses and disappointments. And they say to him, where is your God? And all the time as he seeks to reveal God and his grace to us, this Jesus is facing a horrible death of rejection, ultimately rejected by God, his Father. And as Jesus bears all of this suffering, he is cast down and his soul is in turmoil. We read of him in John 12. Now, he says, is my soul troubled? Now is my soul troubled? And as we we thought about Then as he reaches the cross and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he expresses it again. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And so here is Jesus facing complete exile from God. And he would cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here he is facing all his enemies, facing religious and Roman authorities against him, facing all the powers of darkness and Satan himself, bearing all the sins and iniquities of his people. And he's cast down and he is troubled. And the question is, how does Jesus sing this Psalm 42 this evening? How does he wait in hope? for this saving God whose presence is victory. See, Jesus faces all of this loss, all of this disappointment, all of this being weighed down. He cries out to his father, why have you forgotten me? And he hopes in God still. Jesus hopes in God as his rock, as his refuge. He commits himself to God for vindication. He commits himself to his father's care. He commits himself to God, trusting that his father would raise him from the dead. And this is the ultimate outworking of Psalm 42. Jesus giving his life to exile, facing his enemies, cut off for our sins, hoping in this God who on the third day then raises him. And in all of that, death is defeated. Darkness in all its forms is vanquished. Sin is judged and taken away. He carries our sorrows, but then he rises to life with God forevermore. And there is no more despair for him, no more of his soul being troubled, no more turmoil, no more anxiety because suffering and death itself in all its forms are defeated in his resurrection. And that's why this evening we can have hope. That's why Psalm 42 says hope in God in the midst of this. In him, in Christ, we can wait in hope for God to truly deliver us. And to bring his salvation. Oh, I wonder what you're facing this evening. I wonder what your exile is. I wonder where you're dry and distant in your Christian life. I wonder where you're facing the pressure of enemies and people and life and its its situations. Where are you cast down? Where are you troubled? Where are you feeling overwhelmed? Where are you mourning? The hope that we can leave with you tonight, folks, is that there is a Savior who has entered into that very experience for you. A Savior who was exiled and oppressed by enemies. A Savior who took your exile so that you would never be cut off from God. Never be rejected from this God. A saviour who faced and defeated your enemies so that they would never overcome you. So that when you are cast down and troubled in whatever circumstance, he is with you to comfort you, 
to strengthen you so that you will have hope. The hope of a full salvation, the hope of a final and full deliverance from every enemy, from all suffering, including depression. A time when you will praise him, a time when God will be your exceeding joy and your joy will be full. Are you hoping in God? Are you waiting in hope for him? We've seen a little bit of what it looks like. It's not a passive thing. It's a, I will remember you. As the psalmist says, I will actively set my attention on you. I will pray to the God of my life. I will trust in you. I will take refuge in you. I will pursue you. I will be led by your light and truth. I will worship you. And yes, when we're struggling with depression, that that journey of faith, it's a journey, it's a process, it's back and forth, it's lament and it's hope. But it's a journey from tears being your food day and night to a time when every tear will be wiped away forever. And rivers of life without depression will be ours forever in Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.